comedy and those that <laughs> go to whoisthatlive.com for upcoming shows. Join us on a journey into the absurd. Radio Havana, 1109 Valencia at 22nd in San Francisco. The Wild Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business. Good morning, everyone. Como México, no hay dos. Como San Jalisco, tampoco. For over 40 years now, the Barra family has been serving up the very best in Mexican food to the people of San Francisco. What's your favorite? Enchiladas? Tacos? Chilaquiles? A birria to die for? What about your favorite American dishes? They got them. Find them all and more at San Jalisco, corner of 20th and South Van Ness, in the very heart of the mission. Come on down to San Jalisco, where the food tells you you're in Mexico.
de mi gente protector del campesino eres un gran mexicano ese sería tu destino de muy humildes principios organizaste a la gente y a los
And that was Amy Lou Harris. And this is Labor and Love Radio. And this is Saturday at 10 a.m. where every week we meet with you. Section of Labor News, History and Opinion. Mixed in songs of social significance. We started out today with De Colores. De Colores celebrating the birth of one of America's most iconic labor leaders, most effective labor leaders, Cesar Estrada Chavez. Talk quite a bit about him today. Followed that up with Lalo Guerrero. <coughs> Children were singing De Colores. Alo singing Corrido, ballad of Cesar Chavez. Compañero, si se puede. Chavez's motto throughout his long and distinguished career. And then we had, I just threw in Amy Lou Harris, it's all right because it's midnight and I got two more bottles of wine. Contract workers sleeping out of warehouse in West LA. <coughs> so what do we got today? We got a lot of stuff today. Got radio labor. Radio labor, our weekly world news, world labor news feature. Capitalist system, how the capitalist system supports people like Harvey Weinstein. Bill Cosby, just the general attitude, powerful men towards women who depend on them, ambitious, and then we've got uh, an old friend of the station, Francesca Fiorentini. Republican lawmakers refuse to admit the real problem in control. Well, the speech delivered by Cesar Chavez to the Commonwealth Club, one of his most famous speeches. <coughs> Another old friend of the show, Francesca Ramsey, talking about privilege. Labor history in two. Bernie Sanders versus Howard Schultz. Longtime Starbucks CEO grilled on company Okay, just to remind you, you are tuned. You are tuned to Labor and Love Radio, and this is the B. Singing the high and the mighty there.
or we tell you how it is. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. We're also going to start talking this week about AI, a phenomenon that's sweeping the computer industry, the tech industry. From day to day, some people are even calling for it to be suspended, to be such work on things like artificial intelligence, to be suspended. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Let's start out with Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, March 31st, 2023. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, the crackdown on unions in Hong Kong and how labor is fighting back. The struggle against xenophobia in Southern Africa. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. We shall not be, we shall not be moved. We shall not be moved just like a tree, a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. This is Radio Labor. In 2020, China forced Hong Kong government to adopt an anti-union national security law which has resulted in the arrest of unionists and the collapse of the legitimate labor federation in the territory, the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions. The HKCTU's general secretary is still in prison. This leaves Beijing's puppet labor organization, the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions, in power. I talked to Christopher Su Tat Mung about the situation in Hong Kong. Mr. Mung is the executive director of the Hong Kong Labor Rights Monitor. I reached him in London where he is in exile and asked him if unionists in Hong Kong were fighting back. After the introduction of national security law, the Hong Kong Confederation of Trade Unions, HKCTU, as the only democratic and independent labor center, became one of the main targets of political subtraction. HKCTU was criticized intensively by the state-owned newspaper as being anti-China force, committing into collusion with foreign force, and conspiracy of color revolution. The affiliation and cooperation with the overseas workers' organization were investigated by the National Security Police. Some core members of HKCTU were even interviewed by the Chinese government agents they were asked to resign from their post or to disclose the in, internal or information of the organization, including financial source and links with outside groups. Under the intensive political pressure, the Confederation was forced to pass the resolution of dispensement in October 2021. How many trade unionists have been arrested and who is the latest union leader to be charged? Until today... At least 11 trade unionists were arrested under 
the introduction of national security law. Among those people being arrested, the former general secretary of Hong Kong CTU, Li Chiyuan, was sentenced 20 months for the charge of unauthorized assembly. Although he has finished the sentence, he is still being remanded in jail, waiting for the trial of inciting subversion of state power. The former chairperson of HKCTU, Kevo Ng, and the former chairperson of the Hospital Workers Union, Winnie Yu. Both of them are facing the charge of subversion of state power in the case of Tamanwi election. Last month, Elizabeth Tang, the wife of Li Chiyuan and the General Secretary of International Domestic Workers Federation, was also arrested under the charge of collusion with foreign force when she was visiting her husband in prison. The political suppression and intimidation against the union leaders have been continuing with no end in sight. Are unionists in Hong Kong fighting back against the suppression, and if so, how? Under the political threat, it is very hard for the trade unionists to voice out against the political suppression. They could not organize any demonstration to raise their political demands as they did before. However, the workers' movement with the Hong Kong people together will not give up their beliefs in freedom and democracy. After the disbandment of HKCTU, a number of former affiliated trade unions managed to survive. They are back to the workplace they represent and maintain the day-to-day contest with their members. They are organizing the workers by providing labor law consultancy concerning health and safety issues and handling workers' grievances trying to secure the independent voice in the workplace in the bottom. Without the support of the umbrella organization, however, it will be more, much more difficult than before for them to organize any mass industrial action, not to mention the political control imposed by the government. Nevertheless, the workers are finding out the new ways of struggle spontaneously and creatively. For example, since September 2021, there have been three times dependent delivery workers strikes without the leading of trade unions. They were building up the networks through the social media that formed the base on which the workers organized the strikes. I strongly believe that whenever there are oppression, there will be struggles. The regime can never stop all the oppressed people from standing out for their basic rights and dignity. The All-China Trade Union Congress operates throughout China. Does it also operate in Hong Kong? On the surface, All-China Federation of Trade Unions, ACFTU, does not operate in Hong Kong. However, everyone knows that the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions, FTU, is supported and controlled by the Chinese government. They receive huge amounts of funding from the Chinese Communist Party and the party officers are cited as union leaders. Looking at the past record, FTU is simply the puppet of the Chinese Communist Party, supporting the national security law and the suppression of Hong Kong democratic and labor movement. After the disbandment of HKCTU, this pro-government trade union camp can easily monopolize the voice of the workers and occupy all the labor seats in the tripartite mechanism. I'm afraid that Hong Kong is taking the path to the system of mainland China, where only the official union is legal and recognized. What can be done to help labor leaders in Hong Kong? 
after I relocated in UK under the risk of political arrest, I decided to form the new organization with my colleagues based in UK called Hong Kong Labour Rights Monitor. Given that we are free to speak out the truth for Hong Kong workers, we have done a number of monitoring reports regarding the violation of basic workers' rights inside in the international conventions. It is important to keep putting pressures of the international community on the Chinese government, especially after lifting the restrictive COVID policies. The Chinese government is so eager to recover the trading and investment relations with the foreign countries. Therefore, I expect the international communities to firmly tell the leaders of the Chinese government there is no way back to the normal as long as the union leaders and other political prisoners are still imprisoned, as long as the human rights and worker rights are not respected in Hong Kong. We have also actively engaged with the international labor movement to get their support in building up the alliance against the totalitarianism across the world. That is very important to let the imprisoned union leaders know that they will never be forgotten. They will never walk alone. Xenophobia is the prejudice against people from other countries. It is a problem all over the world. To discuss strategies on how to organize the struggle against xenophobia in southern Africa, the International Transport Workers Federation organized a conference in Johannesburg. The conference was conducted by the ITF's road transport section. Here are some of the labor leaders who spoke at the conference. Xenophobia must be defeated. So, therefore, we move the resolution. We must share the cake. Xenophobia cannot and will not separate us. I second the motion. Xenophobia is a pressing issue affecting transport workers in southern Africa, leading to violence, harassment, and discrimination. Clearly, from our perspective, there is no room and tolerance for primitive backwardness, such as racism, regionalism, tribalism, ethnicity, and xenophobia. The industry has been confronted by a wave of violence ranging from criminality to inter-ethnical conflicts, often referred to as xenophobia. And acts of xenophobia on migrant or foreign, foreign drivers is counterproductive and defeats our supreme objectives to build strong progressive unions. An injury to one is injury to all. But from today onwards, at least when I go back to Zimbabwe, I have got something that I'm going to present to them to say, look, we have identified our problems. This is the roadmap that we are going to use to try and resolve them. And I'm sure even our government is going to be very happy to see us fighting this animal called xenophobia. From K to Cairo, from Morocco to Madagascar, With his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of how the ILO hopes to put additional pressure on the government of Belarus in an effort to end its campaign of harassment directed at trade unions. We also covered why the 10 years anniversary of the Hong Kong dockers' strike is an important moment, even as trade unions are banned in the territory. 
We also had stories detailing the ways in which the promises of the Qatari government to improve migrant worker rights have been broken, and a report on the dismal state of trade union rights in Morocco. And of course, we had hundreds of stories about the huge cost of living lockouts in the United Kingdom, Portugal, France, and Germany, and the historic national general strike in Israel that forced the far-right government there to pause its plans for what it calls judicial reform, and what critics, including the labor movement, call an attack on the foundations of democracy. This week's Working Women's news page brought us stories of how Australian midwives were organizing against government attempts to intimidate them, a Canadian union's fight to end period poverty, and how an Indian builders union is making gender equality a key part of its program for the coming years. We also had coverage of events in North Macedonia, where women are deeply involved in the struggle for a just transition, and from France, where women are leading the charge against the state's so-called pension reforms, and why. Stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week included an item detailing the impact of continual surveillance on financial services workers in Australia, protests against unsafe working conditions in Honduran melon fields, sex workers rallying for decriminalization and safe working conditions in South Africa, and some good news, the positive response of the Irish labor movement to a new law on work-life balance. Our current photo of the week is a shot of a huge march through Lisbon as the Portuguese labor movement mobilized last week to protest growing poverty and inequality. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here's the American folk singer Joe Glazer with We Shall Not Be Moved. We shall not be, we shall not be moved. We shall not be, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree, a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. The union is behind us, we shall not be moved. The union is behind us, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, we shall not be moved. We shall not be moved. We'll build a mighty union. We shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. And we shall not be. We shall not be moved. We shall not be. We shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We're gonna roll. We're gonna roll, we're gonna roll, we're gonna roll, roll the union on. We're gonna roll, we're gonna roll, 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 we're gonna roll the union on. And if the boss is in the way, we're gonna roll right over him, roll right over him, roll right over him. Well, if the boss is in the way, we're gonna roll right over him, gonna roll the union on. 
And that's it. Labor news you can use. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Got 12 years down and I still owe nine. Pops getting old, so now I'm doing double time. Prison life got changed, so my tears, yet I still cry. Concerned convicts look at me and they all sympathize. I'm trying to conceal and contain when I'm feeling inside. Recognize the consequences of how I'm living my life. Man, what I wouldn't give just to be by his side. Cause we only live once and there ain't no next time. I promise not to do tomorrow. What I could do now from this point on in my life, that's how I'm getting down. Realizing now's the time and place to make some changes. No more tears of hate, anger, fear, and frustration. Or walking with more issues than a mental patient. Like sitting with my pops, waiting for our Lord to take them. I give them to God and ask them for the strength to face them. Cause without faith, there ain't nothing else that could replace them. Hey, Earl. What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Hey, Earl. What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Imagine looking at the world. Through God's eyes, discover the hidden meanings behind what you once loved and despised. What I want for myself is that which I want for me. There's so many trapped in confusion, living a life of hypocrisy. As a man, I stand up forgiven by my fellow men who say they believe as I do. Maybe that's God's plan to be an example of faith to those who all know me. Because I'm grounded in the spirit like an angel with a broke wing. My faith in God promises eternal life after death. So me and my pops will be together forever, I guess. I suppose better off than those lacking sincerity. And I pray for they souls as they take up space next to me this is for my father you know i know how you feel like i said before i do what i can and that's real write a letter or call just to check up on you never miss no opportunity to show you i love you hey earl what's up with you that's the thought in my mind when i look in the mirror one day i'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture say earl What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Welcome home.
just expand. Go to church on Sunday. 
Okay, there, right at the end, we got uh, Etta James singing the classic, The Working Man's Blues, otherwise known as Stormy Monday. They call it Stormy Monday, but Tuesday's different. Before that, we had a special dedication all-time best buddy of mine, my deceased, Mr. Earl J. Coleman, by his son, Darnell, a.k.a. Duck Dojo. Wish I could be here with you. And before that, of course, we had Joe Glazer with a classic Union song. We're going to roll the Union on. Okay, well, the beat goes on, doesn't it? Americans keep killing one another. We love our guns, and we love to kill one another. Let's look a little bit more, though, at that issue of guns. First of all, let's listen to Francesca Fiorentini. The CEO of TikTok, uh, Show Z Chu, for five hours or the equivalent of like 150 TikToks. Um, <laughs> and they are Excuse me, that wasn't the one. pistol and a handgun and use the guns to shoot through a locked side entrance, Drake said. Two of the guns were le obtained legally and locally here. Yeah, watch the most dangerous one wasn't. I think TBD on that. Um, now, what about Hale? More about uh, them. A uh, source close to the Hale family told the Daily Beast on Monday that Hale was autistic, but high-functioning, and, and relatively recently announced that she was trans, identifying as he, him, the source said, asking to remain unnamed so as to avoid family strife. Now, the reason I bring this up is not because I think it is at all important, but... Of course, the right is freaking out about it, and they are using it as another opportunity to go after the trans community, of course, with Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeting, how much hormones like testosterone and medications for mental illness was the transgender Nashville shooter taking? Everyone can stop blaming guns now. <laughs> you fucking cunt. Like, which I love because it's like, what's interesting about that is if you say it's all men, right? If you because it's ninety nine percent of the shooters are you know cis men. If you say it's all men, 
and you do something like I would do, which is like blame, you know, like this, just the aggro, whatever. Now she's like blaming, she's like going after testosterone. So it's not, it can't be men because she's going after testosterone here. It can't be mental illness because she's going after people who get treated for mental illness. So how much meds? Okay, so it can't, it's not mental illness. It's definitely not guns because she just said it. So it is just that they were supposedly trans, which by the way, she's fucking making up all that. stuff. She has no idea if this person, if Hale was, was taking any kind of, you know, hormones or, te or tea, no fucking idea what they were taking for any kind of mental illness. No idea if they did have mental illness at all. Cause this happened at the same time as, you know, the, the, the account from a neighbor or a friend saying that Hale, you know, had what, or was autistic. So there you go. Um, it's just beautiful. Yeah, it's it's. I I just think uh, it's tough because I feel like to engage with it with it is to take the bait. I really do feel like I doubt Marjorie really believes much of anything anymore. It's all strategic decisions. But for any any uh, uh, certainly myself as as I see white men doing the same thing, saying oh it's a transgender thing. And for any white man to to possibly try to pass the buck when it comes to shootings, it's offensive. It's off. I mean, you just have to look at the numbers. And Elon Musk, uh, so someone posted, you know, four shootings in the last four years that were uh, uh, potentially committed by by a transgender person. He retweeted and it, right? He, he added his little, his cute little exclamation point, his little innocent, interesting exclamation point. Uh, uh, not not taking uh, account of the fact that how many shootings have been in the last four years, how many of them were, were committed by by cis white men. It's uh, it's it just sucks. Yeah, it just sucks, and it sucks because it just it's it's one of those things where such a tragedy happened, and the the main thing you need to focus on is is the victims and how to stop this. And then they're using it to the, these Republicans are using it to, to 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 shift the blame and not focus on the issue. And it just sucks. I mean, it's, yeah, it's we're we're not terrible. equipped to deal with it in a in a good way with our media landscape and our social media landscape. But it's disgusting. And I don't think Marjorie should be. I don't think she should be able to have a meal without someone spitting in it. I, I mean, I really, really do think so. No, she. I mean, it, it's so disgusting to pile on like this. And of course. Um, it reminds me of the Pulse nightclub shooting where, you know, the shooter was Muslim, potentially in the closet, and they, like, they were like, is it, it's not ISIS, but we can blame Islam, you know, and they're constantly blaming the identity of the shooter, unless the shooter is a cis white Christian boy who just needed a Burger King, you know, that's all he needed after he shot up a, you know, a black church. Like, this is... It, it's so funny, though, because it's like you kind of feel in this tweet from Marjorie, and this is what I said online, that, like, is she mad that the mass shooter might have been trans? Does that mean that she's mad that, like, mass shootings are going woke? Like, is she pining for the days, you know, when, oh, my God, what happened to our wholesome white murderers, you know? Now they're even, not the trans are doing mass shootings. They're killing us. Uh, obviously, that is a joke. Of course, she just knows that if she just keeps saying it enough times, people will start associating. 
associating the two things together and it's uh it's a plague it's a plague and i i feel really hopeless in terms of the spreading of just the ability to just say something again and again and still being allowed to be to be present in polite society that's totally. the part that upsets me i really like you know if she's doing a tv interview outside people should be screaming fuck you like it it should yeah it's hard I, you know, I, I, there's nothing, there's nothing funny about it. It's just toxic. It's poison and it's constant. Yes. And it's not going anywhere at all. Yes. And so that, that's the anti-trans angle somehow of this. But of course we know the real angle is that this is the representative of that district where the covenant school is. It's, this is a photo, if you're listening, um, of, uh, representative Andy Ogles and his Christmas card from last year, which features him and his wife and his three kids all except for the littlest one with automatic weapons just posing in front of a christmas tree in their fucking wasp ass home and like what like i look at this photo and i'm like you know what you know the love it or leave it saying i think i'm gone like deuces just yeah, straight yeah, yeah. deuces on this fucking I got to wonder about that little boy, though. I wonder if they said, hey, come on, we need you to hold the gun. And he said, no, I want to hold the, the Santa picture. Like this poor little boy just wants to have a good Christmas. Totally. And, uh, uh, you know, unless there's something in that fucking. He pulls there out definitely a is. It's, yeah, there's it's one of those hollowed out. C4. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> I um, mean, they should be embarrassed. It's so lame. It's so goddamn lame. It's so fucking lame. Um, yeah, so so th there's the representative. Now, here's another Tennessee um, uh, Tennessee rep, Tim Burchett, um, who, let's just look at him and what he said. In the wake of this mass shooting, the wake of three nine-year-olds who were murdered and their families, I, I mean, like, like, I don't have any more tears to shed. I'm so fucking gutted over this. This is what this guy has to say. Not of the district, but but um, of Tennessee. Um, this is Representative again, Tim Burchett, at, being asked, "What what can be done?" Do you think there's any role for Congress to play to in reaction to this tragedy? Obviously, this is your state now, sure. but it's happened in every other state. Oh, it's happening. It doesn't matter what state it's happening in. It's for all Americans. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. They all believe red. It's, they're believing a lot. Um, I I don't see any real role that we could do other than mess things up, honestly, because of the um, situation. It's, um, uh, like I said, I don't think a criminal's going to stop from guns. You know, you can print them out on the computer now, 3D printing, and there's really, I, I don't think you're going to stop the gun violence. I think you, you've got to change people's hearts. You know, as a Christian, as we talk about in the church, and I've said this many times, I think we really need revival in this country. Yep. That's a problem, John Marco. As a Christian, we need revival. This, I mean, this is like a doctor before the surgery, before like they're gonna cut you open. Was like, yeah, I don't think there's anything. Uh, I don't think there's anything we can do. All right, let's go <laughs> into surgery. And you go, oh, then then you shouldn't be the doctor anymore. Uh, no, well, listen, I, I can relate to a nihilistic attitude. Believe you me, but that's why I'm not in office. Then you <laughs> then you have to give the job to someone else because the yes. job is to do something. The job is to govern. So if you are of the belief that, that there's nothing for the job to do, then you need a new job. Then you just need a new job. That's it. Absolutely. And then here's what he was told, uh, or here's what he said when he was asked, you know, what should, you know, 
families do who send their kids to school every day. What should be done to protect people like your little girl from being safe at school? Well, we homeschool her, but you know, that's our decision. Some people don't have that option, and frankly, some people don't need to do it. I mean, they don't have to. Um, it just suited our needs much better. It suited our needs of indoctrinating our kid. Anyway, we keep her in a cage. Everything's fine. Um, like, so he homeschools his own kid, maybe in part because of the amount of mass shootings that are happening in schools, which, by the way, this was a small 200 people, 200 students, tiny school, private school, which usually are largely not untouched, but it's a very small percentage of the number of mass shootings within schools. I can't believe that's even a stat that I'm having to say. Of course. I doubt he's doing it just because of the shootings. I'm sure it's so he can teach his children uh, how the Civil War you know, there are problems on both sides. That's yes. why he's doing the homeschooling. But he, once again, if you are not participating in the thing you've been put in charge of, schools, then you got to go. I don't, yeah. I, the same way, I'm, I live in New York. I don't want to hear any mayor talk about the subways if they're not riding them. You <laughs> are not a participant. You are not a participant. You want to homeschool? That's fine. But then you get to be in charge of your homeschool, and that's it. That's yeah. it. That's it. Ugh. Um, you know, and they're obviously, you know, look, I'm looking at cam campaign contributions from 2018 to Tim Burchett, that, that's this guy, from the, the NRA. I see $1,000. $1,000. Like, maybe there's some stuff I'm not seeing. Maybe it's been funneled through other super PACs and dark money sure, groups. Sure. It's got to be. Because for a fucking thousand dollars, you get that crass, cynical piece of shit asshole there to say there's nothing you can do. We need revival, you psycho Christian fuck. Sorry. Okay, well, that's Fiorentini's take on it. I would like to talk about the fix we're in. <clears throat> Those of us who uh, live under, all of us who live under capitalism and who have to have a job. Now, Francesca and her, her interlocutor are, are having the luxury of being able to express their opinions and question what's being told to them. We have to remember that there are a lot of people who don't have a choice about these things because they're locked into a capitalist system. They have to have a job. This is a story in the Washington Post. I'll read part of it. You can check it out. A southern town embraces its AR-15 factory. AR-15 factory brings jobs. Tiny Manoa Mayodan, North Carolina, the Ruger plant is a source of jobs, not controversy. Sign of how conservative areas are welcoming an industry increasingly shunned by liberal states. And it's about a woman named Kelly Menard. Kelly Menard had been working the front counter of Sunrise gas station here for a few months when she began chatting with the man who stopped in every day a little after 5 p.m. 
Nard was making seven twenty-five an hour, and when she learned that her regular customers worked for the Storm Ruger and Company gun manufacturing plant on the outskirts of town, she asked if they were hiring. She was eager for a better-paying job. Pause for comment. A better-paying job. That's what workers are looking for. That's what they have to be looking for. On your job depends your, actually, your self-image, right? Your standing in society. If you're making seven twenty-five, you're probably just barely surviving. Ruger was always looking for people, the guy said. If she wanted to work, he'd put in a good word for her. Nard put in an application and got a call the next day. Started in December 2020 and nearly doubled her minimum wage salary, making $14 an hour plus overtime, five 10-hour shifts a week. Money allowed her and her husband to buy their first house, white vinyl and brick three-bedroom ranch house, with a yard and a large carport. Working the pre-dawn first shift allowed her to spend her afternoons with her son Bryson, now three. Since she joined Ruger, Menard, 24, has been working on the AR-15 line helping to assemble the hundreds of semi-automatic rifles the plant produces during each of its two daily shifts. Putting together the weapons requires speed and precision, and the workers are on their feet for hours. It is a complicated process with about 30 stations. Some workers put in the trigger and the hammer. Others assemble tubes and barrels. Others work on the muzzle and the grip. Nard switches stations based on the work. I'm so used to the work I can put together one, one together in my sleep, she says. Ruger is based in Southport, Connecticut. Killing at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Newtown, Connecticut, left 26 dead and prompted Connecticut to pass some of the nation's strictest gun laws. They require universal background checks, expanding the state's assault weapons ban, and banning the sale of gun magazines with a capacity more than 10 rounds. Laws did not affect the ability of gun companies to manufacture in the state, but they served as a forceful cultural rejection. So, in parentheses, this is what we're up against. What we're up against is progressive people who want to see the world be a kinder place, who, want, who are looking and trying to achieve true democracy and do away with killing. 
in this case, killing. It could be anything. Do away with climate change. There are jobs connected to all this stuff. There are jobs connected to climate change. There are jobs that people are invested in, have built their lives around, that pollute the earth, spread the contagion of dirty air and dirty water. Oceans that are clogged garbage, floating garbage. Just as in the same way, there are jobs connected to the gun industry. We're not just trying to get manufacturers to stop making guns or have states pass laws going up against people's self-image people's jobs, people's survival, because under capitalism, we have to work at a job, a.k.a. someone else's work, to survive. Now, can we really take this woman to task? Well, sure we can. We could address her and people like her, but what's the response going to be? Well, look, I'm making twice as much as I used to. I get to see my kid. We bought a house. The migration of the gun industry out of blue states into red ones underscores how sharp the divide is among Americans over weapons like the AR-15 has cleaved the country into two different lands. One in which the manufacturing of such guns is anathema and the other in which it is a marker of patriotism. Or at the very least, part of the fabric of American life. Now, can we really ask this woman and all the people like her who are invested in murderous and polluting industries to give up their jobs? Well, at some point in the future, they're going to have to. Anyway, the article goes on. I would uh, encourage you to read it because it does address fundamental questions, contradictions at the very core of the problem we're trying to solve. Union worker, he's making 75 bucks an hour. Is he supposed to give up his job of Tearing down forests. For the good of it, what's he supposed to live on? These are questions we have to answer. I don't have the answers. These are questions that need to be addressed. Take a break. To the good professor.
tofu for lunch. But not a corporate burger. It could have come from a septic company merger. It ain't Morgan. no fun to eat what's in between those buns. Now, I ain't quite ready to live just on the rays of the sun like I know some Indian yogis have done. But you are what you eat and how strange you see to go by the name of MSG. This is the Georgie and Johnny show. Georgie is George Bush, a rich guy who wants us to think he's a hard guy. So maybe he wants us to call him George Bush. And Johnny, well, Johnny is Johnny Ashcroft. He's kind of a weird dude who runs around covering up the breasts of statues, which really makes you wonder what kind of a relationship the guy had with his mother. You come on TV. Disguised as the president, don't you, Georgie Bush? You want us up against the wall from your constant push? Don't you, Georgie Bush? Johnny Ashcroft, your general of attorneys, a general nuisance is he. He's in my computer, in my prison cell phone, listening to my lawyer and me. Johnny ran for governor in the show me state wiretapping the voice in his head but the voters showed him his hearing was gone cause he lost to a man who was dead you hide in the darkness with a wide angle lens and your microphone wires all a humming and you know what we're doing as we live honest lives whether we're going or eating or coming you got all the bugs bugged, all your liars are spying, and your rats are watching the deers. And you look so funny with your two million eyes and your homeland security ears. I got 20 connections on my telephones. My potatoes got both eyes and ears. And at home I got my George Orwell video. It watches me and it hears. Democracy is what you're maintaining. You lie to us on TV. But while we're watched and we're hunted and spied on and lied to, Georgie, you know we ain't free. When you're gone, they'll say he knew everyone but himself. You know it's true. But you ain't relaxing as long as I can't, because, Georgie, I'm watching you. That was uh, Brother Charlie Morgan, recently deceased singing his George Bush song. I want to dedicate 
some time now in this show to the memory of a great labor leader, Cesar Estrada Chavez. And we'll celebrate his life over a period of a couple of weeks. I want to start now with a speech that he made at the Commonwealth Center, one of a series of classic speeches that he delivered in his life. And if you don't know much about Cesar Chavez, just listen up, tune into Labor and Love Radio. Chavez was born in Yuma, Arizona in 1927. lived on a family farm <coughs> in that area for a while. <coughs> and legend says that his family was beaten out of their land by a, a big landowner who, who wanted the land for himself and was able to manipulate the authorities in Yuma <coughs> so that the Chavez family had to leave their land. This was a time in the 1930s when people all over the South and the Midwest were leaving their farms, which were devastated by a dust bowl and by uh, foreclosures, bank foreclosures. People who had been landowners and yeoman farmers suddenly found that they had no land and they had no farm. Like so many others, the Chavez family headed for California. They weren't alone either. There were a lot of white people who were came to be called Okies by the Californians. Everybody was headed for California looking for work, looking for farm labor, Things that are chronicled in uh, John Steinbeck's novel, The Grapes of Wrath, a movie starring Henry Fonda as well. And you lived where you could. They had a car. They came to California. They started doing the corrida, the traveling around the state as migrant laborers sometimes other states, harvesting crops that were ready to be picked. And they were living in places close to here, like Half Moon Bay, San Jose, the area in San Jose called Si Se Puede. Sal Si Puede. Get out if you can, it was called. From that, Chavez took his lifelong motto, Si se puede, al se puede, si se puede, which was lifted and used by Barack Obama. At any rate, Chavez went through that kind of life. He attended 30 different public schools, where often because he and his family didn't English, they were just thrown on to the to the school, thrown in there with the white kids, and often uh, with a lot of bias and prejudice and 
bullying against them uh, when he grew a little older just to get out of this kind of life he went joined the navy and he, he hated the navy he hated the way um, hierarchy and the way he was treated So he came back, married a woman named Helen Chabela. And went back to farm labor. Now, uh, ever since, you know, there had been farm labor in California, ever since people, migrant people were needed to pick the crops as they ripened, there had been movements. People were organizing. Mostly Mexican workers organized and helped each other. It was a rare thing, but there were times when they joined together <coughs> with Filipinos and Japanese and all the other nationalities that the owners, farmers, Imported was a tactic of the big owners to keep the different groups separated so they wouldn't join force. But they did in 1903, several times in the mid-30s, and in 1948 <coughs> against the De Giorgio Corporation. And this is where Chavez became impressed by unions, by people joining together to make their lives better. <coughs> farm, farm workers were shamefully treated. They, they were moving from place to place. The camps they stayed in had often had no running water. Sicknesses were rampant. Sometimes uh, farmers would put out calls for labor and say that they had 3,000 jobs where they only had 1,000, but it kept the price of labor low. You were kind of locked into this life where you never got ahead but you had to keep moving to get the work. Anyway, there was a strike led by uh, Ernesto Galarza's United Farm Workers Union. Farm Workers Union, I'm not sure what the acronym is. And this impressed Chavez. He was never one to sit still. He was always thinking of ways to improve life for himself and people like him. And farm work was hard. Lettuce is hard to pick. These other crops, some of them more difficult than others. At that time, they used something called a short-handled hoe. 
which meant you had to lean over. You had to bend over the prop if you wanted to do it quickly, pick the letters or whatever it was. And he developed a back problem, as did so many people at that time. And finally, he started thinking about ways that he could do something, how to change lives of himself and the people around. So let's listen to Chavez talking at the Commonwealth Club. Of a freight train. Conversion of the bus cannot be approved by any government agency. The driver had tunnel vision. Most of the bodies laid unidentified for days. No one, including the grower who employed the workers, even knew their names. Today, thousands of farm workers live under savage conditions beneath trees and amid garbage and human excrement near tomato fields in San Diego County. Tomato fields which use the most modern farm technology. Vicious rats gnaw at them as they sleep. They walk miles to buy food at inflated prices and they carry in water from irrigation ditches. Child labor is still common in many farm areas. As much as 30% of Northern California's garlic harvesters are underage children. Kids as young as six years old have voted in state conducted union elections since they qualified as workers. Some 800,000 underage children work with their families harvesting crops across America. Babies born to migrant workers suffer 25% higher infant mortality rates than the rest of the population. Malnutrition among migrant workers' children is 10 times higher than the national rate. Farm workers' average life expectancy is still 49 years, compared to 73 years for the average American. All my life, I have been driven by one dream, one goal, one vision. To overthrow a farm labor system in this nation that treats farm workers as if they were not important human beings. Farm workers are not agricultural implements. They are not beasts of burden to be used and discarded. That dream was born in my youth. It was nurtured in my early days of organizing. It has flourished. It has been attacked. I'm not very different from anyone else who has ever tried to accomplish something with his life. My motivation comes from my personal life, from watching what my mother and father went through when I was growing up, from what we experienced as migrant workers in California. That dream, that vision, grew from my own experience with racism, with hope, with a desire to be treated fairly and to see my people treated as human beings and not as chattel. It grew from anger and rage, emotions I felt 40 years ago when people of my color were denied the right to see a movie or eat at a restaurant in many parts of California. It grew from the frustration and humiliation I felt as a boy who couldn't understand how the girls could abuse and exploit farm workers when there were so many of us 
and so few of them. Later in the 50s, I experienced a different kind of exploitation. In San Jose, in Los Angeles, and in other urban communities, we, the Mexican-American people, were dominated by a majority that was Anglo. I began to realize what other minority people had discovered, that the only answer, the only hope, was in organizing. More of us had to become citizens. We had to register to vote. And people like me had to develop the skills it would take to organize, to educate, to help empower the Chicano people. I spent many years before we founded the union learning how to work with people. We experienced some successes in voter registration, in politics, in battling racial discrimination. Successes in an era when black Americans were just beginning to assert their civil rights and when political awareness among Hispanics was almost non-existent. But deep in my heart, I knew I could never be happy unless I tried organizing the farm workers. I didn't know if I would succeed, but I had to try. All Hispanics, urban and rural, young and old, are connected to the farm workers' experience. We had all lived through the fields, or our parents had. We shared that common humiliation. How could we progress as a people, even if we lived in the cities, while the farm workers, men and women of, of our color, were condemned to a life without pride? How could we progress as a people, while the farm workers, who symbolize our history in this land, were denied self-respect? How could our people believe that their children could become lawyers and doctors and judges and business people while this shame, this injustice was permitted to continue? Those who attack our union often say it's not really a union. It's something else, a social movement, a civil rights movement. It's something dangerous. They're half right. The United Farm Workers is first and foremost a union, a union like any other, a union that either produces for its members on the bread and butter issues or doesn't survive. But the UFW has always been something more than a union, although it's never been dangerous if you believe in the Bill of Rights. The UFW was the beginning. We attacked that historical source of shame and infamy that our people in this country lived with. We attacked that injustice, not by complaining, not by seeking handouts, not by becoming soldiers in the war on poverty, we organized. Farm workers acknowledged we had allowed ourselves to become victims in a democratic society. A society where majority rules and collective bargaining are supposed to be more than academic theories and political rhetoric. And by addressing this historical problem, we created confidence and pride and hope in an entire people's ability to create the future. The UFW's survival, its existence, were not in doubt in my mind when the time began to come. After the union became visible, when Chicanos started entering college in greater numbers, when Hispanics began running for public office in greater numbers, when our people started asserting their rights on a broad range of issues and in many communities across this land, 
the Union survival, its very existence, sent out a signal to all Hispanics that we were fighting for our dignity, that we were challenging and overcoming injustice, that we were empowering the least educated among us, the poorest among us. The message was clear. If it could happen in the fields, it could happen anywhere, in the cities, in the courts, in the city councils, in the state legislatures. I didn't really appreciate it at the time, but the coming of our union signaled the start of great changes among Hispanics that are only now beginning to be seen. I've traveled to every part of this nation. I have met and spoken with thousands of Hispanics from every walk of life, from every social and economic class. And one thing I hear most often from Hispanics, regardless of age or position, and from many non-Hispanics as well, is that the farm workers gave them the hope that they could succeed and the inspiration to work for change. From time to time, you will hear our opponents declare that the union is weak, that the union has no support, that the union has not grown fast enough. Our obituary has been written many times. How ironic it is that the same forces that argue so passionately that the union is not influential are the same forces that continue to fight us so hard. The union's power in agriculture has nothing to do with the number of farm workers under union contract. It has nothing to do with the farm workers' ability to contribute to democratic politicians. Doesn't even have much to do with our ability to conduct successful boycotts. The very fact of our existence forces an entire industry, unionized and non-unionized, to spend millions of dollars year after year on increased wages, on improved working conditions, and on benefits for workers. If we were so weak and unsuccessful, why do the growers continue to fight us with such passion? Because as long as we continue to exist, farm workers will benefit from our existence, even if they don't work on the union contract. It doesn't really matter whether we have 100,000 or 500,000 members. In truth, hundreds of thousands of farm workers in California and in other states are better off today because of our work. That's Professor uh, Chavez, like I say, talk more about Chavez's life and work and about the movement. U.S., we always tend to look at one leader, say how great this leader Chavez and leaders like Martin Luther King always insisted that it was their movement that was strong. Um, I'm switch gears a little, and I want to start talking about this on the show. What is its AI, artificial intelligence? All right now, all around us, it's happening right now, day to day. Artificial intelligence is being developed. Some people say it's a tool, other people it's a very dangerous development because it's making minds or a mind 
that is in many ways more efficient and more productive than regular human beings like you and me. Some people are even saying that the technology, all the development of technology that's going on is dangerous and it needs to be stopped or in some way managed. These are programmers themselves. I want to start talking about it on this show. Uh, Why? What has that got to do with labor? Well, it's... It might just take the labor away. In fact, that's the aim, of course, of, of capitalists, is to get something that can do the work without getting sick, or without going on strike, or without filing grievances. But all the evidence points to the fact that this is going to take over many, many different Lucky enough to have someone in my family, have people in my family who are aware and who are following this development and raising questions about it. Paul. Hello? Hi, Vita. How are you? Um, let's see, I'm trying to find, okay, go ahead, say something. Hello, hello. <clears throat> so, Vita, I, I appreciate your coming on the show, and I appreciate, like I was just trying to say, <clears throat> I appreciate the fact that you've you're following these developments about AI. So can you explain a little what AI is for people who don't know? So AI is, from my understanding, AI is artificial intelligence. Directed by humans. They give them a direction. And the intelligence, the intelligence inside of the artificial inside of the computer or the program or whatever it's designed to be intelligent it's designed to take elements variables factors in whatever you're uh you know putting the task to and to make deductions and inferences think to think about it and to use your input and to use what's in front of it and to think intelligently about what it can what the outcome and so it's almost like compound, like intelligence. You know, it's like intelligence that builds upon itself. To break the law, to seek relief from governor, governors appointing. What does all this mean for farm workers? It means the right to vote in free elections is a sham. It means that the right to talk freely about the union among your fellow workers on the job is a cruel hoax. It means that the right to be free from threats and intimidation by growers is an empty okay. promise. It means so what that the we're right about now to sit down and negotiate with I mean, your employer example, is equal. If I wanted to find out something about some famous and not ball player in the field Google, is a fraud. It means that thousands name, of farm workers who are owed get, millions of dollars you know, in back pay because their employers broke the law are still waiting for their checks. 
It means that 36,000 um, farm workers who voted to be represented by the United Farm Workers in free elections are still waiting for so contracts from growers who refuse to bargain in good faith. It means that the, for farm workers, child labor will continue. It means that infant mortality will continue. It means that, in, it means that malnutrition among children will continue. It means the short life expectancy and the okay. inhuman living and so, working conditions um, will continue. What do you are these make believe just looking threats? into your crystal ball? Are they there? exaggerations? Ask what the farm workers about, who are waiting for the money they lost uh, because the, bro the growers broke the law. Um, Ask the farm workers who are still waiting that for growers to bargain in good faith and sign contracts. Ask the farm workers uh, who have been fired workers. from their jobs because they spoke out. For yeah, I mean, I think it's already happening. You think it's yeah. already happening? Yeah, okay. it's already happening in a lot of ways, and I think it's it's happened because um, all those layoffs that have been going on, like those are all part of it, like part of what's gonna happen. And I think that um, you know, uh, technology for centuries has always uh, moved forward, and humans have to adapt and like. Just like anything, you know, like the wheel or like anything. Like back in the day, people could have said the wheel is going to take me out of business because I'm someone who carries stuff for people from this side to the other, right? But if that same person instead says, hey, why don't I make my own wheels and make a cart and then I'll open a business that takes stuff, things, and I could take way more and do way more. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's ways to look at it. Like, either you look at it like, oh, my God, and you lay down and die. Or you look at it and say, okay, what can I do with it? Let me adapt. And, you know, some people have that luxury and others don't. With, you know, capitalism, like, some people really don't have the time or energy or anything to learn a new skill or to think deeply about how they can, you know, make themselves part of a new uh, labor market. But, I mean... Ideally, that's what we would do is, is so that we aren't replaced by the AI is we would find ways to adapt and we would find ways to implement it and maximize our productivity, whether it be in a job or whether it be for our own personal projects or life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think over time, I think the real problem is I think. Personally, technology will progress. Science progresses. Humans, like, we want to progress. What's wrong is capitalism and our society that it doesn't take these things as facts that, yes, every time you change industries or there's a huge technological shift, people will suffer. You know, like, we need to account for that because it's just something that happens every single time. So they should make it so that there's you know, programs like where people can start learning these new skills and become valuable parts of the labor market, or they should have, you know, like times where it says, hey, you know what, like people are getting laid off. Let's, you know, make a national shift in the government and figure this out. Let's, you know, um, there's not a lot of unity. And I don't think I, I mean, I think some European countries will for sure like adapt better. But I think for the most part, just the way the world is going now and the way like um, 
like everything's so controlled and privatized more than ever like people are gonna suffer and there's there's already so many people suffering like from the housing market um food shortages climate crisis of COVID, all these things that inflation you know um that it's not fair and i think that the government like expects us to pay taxes they expect us to be loyal to it but it hasn't been loyal to the people it hasn't been loyal to the citizens because they're literally like starving and dying and they can't control ai they can't control anything you know like why should you i don't know anyways i'm going off on a rant but you get what i'm saying okay l let me ask you uh, one more thing <clears throat> In fact, just yesterday or just two days ago, a bunch of um, techies got together and, and wrote a letter, sort of like a manifesto or like a warning, saying that AI was dangerous and we should think about, government should think about um, stopping the development of AI because it's happening so fast and so out of control that there are, you know, dangers involved. What do you think about that? Um, I think there are dangers involved, and I think there are dangers. It's like Pandora's box. Now it's open. It's done. I don't think right. there's really any taking it back, and I think it's messed up. Like, they'll say, oh, let's roll it back, let's roll it back, and then they'll give us the rolled-back edition. But the companies and the government will keep the best versions, the highest uh, quality versions. And then they'll just tell us, oh, like, no one's really using it anymore. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they use AI. I mean, here's going into conspiracy theory land. But I think I've heard about this before in 2013, 2014. Do you know what a quantum computer is? A, what is it? A quant? A quantum computer. No. It's a computer that it can calculate every possible scenario of something happening. Uh -huh. Quantum. So I think that they've been used since 2014, there's been quantum computers. So I think they've been using and they have better technology already. And they're using it for money. They're using it for climate. They're using it for world affairs already, like governments and companies. You get what I'm saying? Because remember, like, all these uh, big CEOs knew exactly when to leave their companies uh, right before the pandemic, you yeah. know, and all these different things. Like, I think they've been using this stuff for a while because if you use the AI chat GPT for well, you can find out a lot of things. It tells you about based off right now, I can tell you about trends 20 years from now. You know what I mean? Um, just because it's consolidating the internet and like making it like, to the purest sense of what you want. So, right. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's nice and all. It's idealistic, but I think it's done already. And I think our world will change within the next five years. Absolutely, totally different, you know. Um, but, yeah, it will affect workers. And we do have to position ourselves, and capitalism continues to put us in that rat race of, like, Oh, don't worry about other people. Just worry about yourself and your family. And I mean, that's kind of how I feel, you know, like I feel like, damn, like things are going to get worse. I just have to worry about myself and my family. Like I have to make sure we're okay. I can't be all idealistic anymore because 
things are changing, you know? Like, of course, I'm still idealistic, but it's a really hard uh, reality check to say, I think. Okay, well, um, I really appreciate your coming on and giving your opinion. Of course, and I, I love it. I definitely want to do this um, next week and continue this AI uh, discussion because yeah. I think there are probably going to be a lot of developments. It's a thing that's exploding. I mean, within the last two weeks even, a oh, new yeah. version of uh, software has, has uh, come I, into being. Yeah. Just last night I did uh, an AI generator and I put my face in there. And I'll send you the pictures right now, so when you're done with your show, you could see it. And it generated all these different pictures of me in outer space, as a tribal woman, painting. <laughs> it's crazy. Okay. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Thank you okay. so much for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on, and uh, talk to you soon. Okay, so that was uh, Vita Castaneda Morgan, my uh, daughter, who's really the one who introduced me to this AI stuff, who, you know, figured out that it was something that was going to be happening and uh, we should pay attention to it. And believe me, it is happening. A new development just recently is uh, GPT-4, which is the latest version of this intelligence. I want to call it a mind, maybe a collective mind. I don't know. I don't know how we'd, uh, how we'd call it. But it is definitely going to displace workers. It's definitely going to replace humans in so many jobs that, uh, like Vita says, we're going to have to scramble scramble to uh, place ourselves well. All right, let's see. How about uh, we haven't done labor history in two. So here we go. already read the triangle shirtwaist. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2002. That was the day that the U.S. Supreme Court handed down its decision in the case Hoffman Plastic Compound Incorporated versus the National Labor Relations Board. This case had profound importance for undocumented workers in the United States. The conflict began 14 years before, as the United Cork Linoleum and Plastic Workers of America began an organizing drive at Hoffman. The California company made plastic pipe works. Hoffman retaliated by firing all the employees that supported the union. One of those fired was Jose Castro, an undocumented worker. The fired workers took their case to the National Labor Relations Board, where they won. The board ruled that the company had to provide back pay for the workers it had unfairly fired. This ruling included Castro. The company decided to fight the decision, and the case wound its way through the courts for a decade. 
Finally, it arrived on the Supreme Court docket. The highest court in the land ruled in favor of the company in a 5-4 to four decision. It ruled that as an undocumented worker, Castro could not claim back pay. Writing for the dissent, Justice Stephen Breyer warned that the decision, quote, might very well increase the strength of this magnetic force of undocumented migration. If employers do not worry about the penalties for breaking the law that protect workers, they might be more likely to hire undocumented labor. Ten years after the case, an article in the Princeton Law Review called the decision, quote, a powerful legal symbol of exclusion of immigrant workers. Trying to divide the workforce has long been a tactic of owners determined to break the power of labor. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. All right, it's about time for me to get out of here and leave you to uh, flat black plastic, Scott Walker. And did you farewell until next week? Farewell music to get out of here. Remember, this is the B. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work. You're on the menu. Never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. American Federation of Labor President Samuel Gompers wrote a letter to Congress urging them to restrict immigration. He wrote,
of San Francisco's comedy scene. This all-ages open mic invites comedy. Oh, pre-sign by Venmoing two to five dollars at Mutiny Radio. Join us live for a small and special audience at the Mutiny Radio Studio and Gallery Performance Space, 2781 21st Street at Florida Street in the deep, deep, deep mission. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Does my ponytail look cool? Thank you. Namaste. Tuesday used to be the most unlikely night for fun. But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday, 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street. Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up. Come watch your favorite John Hughes 80s films through a whole new lens. We'll have the subtitles on and the volume low while a panel of feminists critique these beloved movies that shaped a generation with sexist, classist, homophobic, racist plots and characters and settings along with a healthy dose of damage property. Hosted by staunch feminist Pam Benjamin at Mutiny Radio, join us 2.15 for 16 Candles with Warren Kraut and Emma Brennan. 3-1, The Breakfast Club with Spencer Devine and Dominic Delgadillo. 3-15, Pretty in Pink with Nina G and Allison Reynolds. And 3-28, Some Kind of Wonderful with Mel Michelle. Hey, it's really exciting. We're going to be here, 278-121st Street, screening John Hughes Films with you. 6 o'clock every other Wednesday, Mutiny Radio. Kids, it's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Mortimer Spiderman. When I'm not swinging through the senior facility, best in Mysterio at Boggle, or getting beautifully plowed by the rhino, I'm headed down to Mutiny Radio at the corner of 21st and Florida. They got some schlemiels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck. And donate two to five dollars on. Hold, hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses. The print's too small. Venmo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown it on. I'll, it's nap time. The year is 2023. Oh, I wish that laughter had value. And the unexpected laugh was priceless. Worry not. True entertainment has brought us a savior. In who's that live.com. Oh, finally, an escape from the apocalyptic nightmare I live in. You can go to who's that live.com and buy comedy tickets. And you're in the raffle. Who's that live.com and buy comedy tickets? And you're in the raffle, I guess. True, 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 true. productions. 
Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city. Join your friends from Mutiny Radio every Thursday at 8 p.m. at the Bar on Dolores at 29th and Dolores. Starting after any very important sports game that might happen to be on, you're guaranteed a night of laughter for free. And when paired with the drink specials and the nicest bartender in San Francisco, it'll become a Thursday ritual. Show up to go out for comics, and please reserve your free tickets on Eventbrite so we know you're coming to laugh. is when the comedy is the cheapest. Happy hour, the most free two hours of hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live at 2781 21st Street. Come down, be in the audience. Dog-friendly. Dog fri- we are. Mutiny Radio is absolutely dog-friendly. A dog party. Ain't no party like a dog party. <laughs> dog party at Mutiny Radio. Every Friday, dog party at Mutiny Radio. Happy hour. <laughs> 2781 21st Street. Happy hour. Mutiny Radio. FM. Here in SF. Calling all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest Vest Fest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Whether you're a leather lover or just a denim demon, if you're looking to dress to impress for less, do not stress. You'll find all the best in pre-distressed fest right here at the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest. With over 40 vendors selling countless crossover styles, you'll find the perfect thing for your scene. Metal, thrash, Walmart, high-vis, and everything in between. All in one place. One day only. Unless it's a jacket. If you need a jacket, take your square ass somewhere else. Never pay for fabric you don't need and ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price. Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today? At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon? Oh, over there at the parklet in front of Atlas Cafe for Titans of Comedy. That, that's Titans of Comedy. Apparently, they've got great sandwiches, cafe drinks, and even some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. I knew Uncle Blake says you smell like a brewery. What did I say about interrupting me? Anywho, right here on 20th and Alabama in the Deep Mission, paired with tasty comedy from Bay Area's favorite comics. For free! Every Saturday, or at least the two Saturdays a month that the court mandates I have to see you. It's sunshine! And even in the drizzle, but not too much. Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come? I really don't. Anywho. You take it with the freezers. Reservations. Reservations on Eventbrite. Back in public schools. In tri-level, dual world of stand-up comedy. Laughter has value, and the unexpected laugh is priceless. Who is that live.com? Comedy local shows on sale now. Everyone that purchases a ticket will automatically be entered into a true drawing. Who wants to focus on the genre of stand up comedy and those that. Who's that? Go to who is that live.com for upcoming shows. Join us on a journey into the absurd. Radio Havana, 1109 Valencia, Act 
of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship. Sha-la-la-la. 